you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, as we pick up the first six verses in a study that I've entitled Victory Over Sin. Anybody want victory over sin in your life? Hallelujah. I hope everyone does. If you're here and you are a believer in Christ Jesus as your Lord, he is your Savior, then you actually already work from, fight from the victory. He's defeated sin, he's defeated death, he's defeated the grave, and because of that, you also walk in that new life, which is that victorious Christian life. And so we find here in the first six verses some very practical ways for us to gain victory over that sin that still remains in us. And I think this is one of those subjects that sometimes churches are hesitant to to attack. And when we don't attack the enemy, he will attack us. And so I pray this morning that maybe there's some things in your life that you need some help with. And we find the answers here in the word as we pick up in verse 1, 1 John chapter 2. Would you join me and let's pray. And we'll take, dig into the word this morning. Father, we again have come as dear children, little ones, Lord, ones who desperately need our Abba Father to speak into our lives. And we pray that you'd find receptive hearts in this room today, Lord, in the overflow rooms and online, wherever people are listening in. God, would your spirit just rule and reign in us. Help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness and cling to the truth. We bless you. Would you please bless us in Jesus' name? Amen. As we continue from the last chapter, and you might remember we had two options. You can either confess your sin and find that he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? That option B we saw last time, and I pray everyone in this room will have chosen that route. In other words, we are believers in that sense because verse 10 says if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. That's not a good thing. Amen? So in choosing the path of walking with the Lord Jesus, how can we conquer that remaining sin that's still in us? And remember, we do have that nemesis. We, we are going to be chased around this world by our old nature, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so in that sense, we all have a battle to fight. God wants you to be victorious in that battle. His desire and his design for you is for you to be victorious and for you to win that battle against that remaining sin. An incredible Bible teacher from the 1600s, he was actually known as the Shakespeare of the divines. Jeremy Taylor wrote this. He said, a man is first startled by sin and then it becomes pleasing and then easy, then delightful then frequent, then habitual, and then confirmed. That man is impenitent, obstinate, and then he's damned. We have a choice to make in our life and in our living. Are we going to continue, as Paul said, any longer in sin? And he answered that question, he said, heaven forbid. That's not God's plan for the life 
of any of his children. But the fact of the matter is, we all have things that we struggle with. So what do we do in those struggles? How do we gain the victory? There's a Yiddish proverb that says, the scab is a scab, even if you coat it with honey. It's true. It doesn't matter what you do to sin. It doesn't matter how you dress it up. It makes no difference how you feel about why you sin. It it, it matters not to the devil what the attractant is in any sinful behavior as God's word declares it. He only wants to make it attractive enough that you'll attempt to engage in it. So you have to first know his tactics. He's trying to bait you into believing that that which is wrong and evil is somehow going to be okay for you. And you can obviously see there's a lot of ways for him to paint sin to where you're going to go, well, that's not sin. How do we gain victory? Verse 1 here in 1 John chapter 2. And let's read this. My little children... I love how John relates us to God as children. In the eyes of the Lord, we're all kids, amen? Compared to who he is, he's the adult, we're the children. My little children, and I want you to pay very close attention to these words. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. In other words, from God's perspective, he does not want, nor does he expect us to be actively engaged in sin. He does want us to be sinless, as sinless as is possible, and if nothing else, absolutely sinning less than we used to. Amen? And if anyone sins, and that's not a question, it's a statement. Some of you will sin more than others. Some of you will sin less than others. But when you sin is the inference here. We have an advocate with the Father. Praise the Lord. You have a defense attorney in heaven. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He paid the price for your sins. You did not pay the price for your own sin. Jesus did. And he paid it in full. That debt is erased. If you have believed on his name, you are a child of God. It's not by works that your flesh is justified. It is by grace through faith, believing that Christ Jesus is your Lord. So it is not what you do that saves you. But what you do absolutely is an indicator of whether you are one of his kids or not. And that becomes the focus. Because what people often struggle with and what the enemy uses so very often is when we sin, we are saying yes to the devil's plans for our lives. And so when you do that repetitively, you lose your assurance that you are God's child. That's why it's so dangerous for believers to walk in sin. Because the enemy goes, see, look what you do. See how you live your life? Look at the way you talk. Look at the way you walk. You're not walking in the light. You're walking in the darkness. And so the enemy is able to say, that grace didn't mean anything to you. 
I want you to notice what is said in the remaining verses in these first six. Now, by this we know that we know him. Is that simple enough for you? Read it correctly. By this I know that I know him, and you know that you know him. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The issue is not that grace is free. The issue is if you want to know that you know the Lord, then you need to be obedient to what the word says. If you do not want to know that you are a child of God, then do whatever you want. That's the contrast. Live your life as you please. And then here's what happens. The devil's going to come to you and he's going to say, see, you're not a child of God. There's no redemptive work going on in your life. You're not acting like someone who actually loves the Lord. Matter of fact, you don't even care of the things of God. And so then you wander around not knowing whether you know or not. And it's not that grace isn't what saved you. It's that you are giving the enemy tools with which to beat you. In Jesus' name, do not do that. He's got enough things to whack you over the head with. He does not need your help. Amen? Notice what it says. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a, yikes, liar, and the truth is not in him. The child of God that has no regard for the word of God has a problem with God. Not with me. You don't have a legalistic problem with me. You have a problem with God. God's word says if you say that you know God and you do not care for the things of God, you have a very strong chance that you don't know him. That should scare you. That should put you into that place where it's like, man, I want to do what God's word says because that's how I know that I know him. When I'm wandering around and my life is in a place to where I walk in gentleness and meekness and self-control, when I exemplify the fruit of the spirit, that's the spirit of God working in me and I have utter confidence that God's at work because I'm not naturally gentle. I am not naturally meek. I am not naturally humble. I am prideful. I am arrogant and self-seeking. So when I act like a child of God, I know the word of God has reached my heart and I'm living it out, which is a sure sign that the spirit is in me. And so he's trying to give us confidence here, family, But whoever keeps his word, here's the contrast. Truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him also ought to walk as he walked. You see the secret to victory is that for us, because we now have the living God dwelling in us. Sin used to be a not an option. But because of Christ, sin is now an option in the life of a believer. 
It used to be a required course before you were a believer in Jesus Christ. You walked after the dictates of your flesh. But now because you're a believer, because you have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you, because you are saved, you now have the capacity to actually resist sin. You can say no to it. Now notice I didn't just say it's going to be easy to say no to sin. Amen? It's still going to be a struggle. But you had no capacity before you knew Jesus. You just did what your flesh told you to do. And for some of you, your flesh looked better than other people's flesh. But the fact of the matter is, we all used to walk in the flesh. Matter of fact, the Bible says every last one of us before we met Jesus was dead in our trespasses and sins. We were so immersed in it that we had really no other way of living other than to live after the dictates of our flesh. So there's a secret weapon that's now available to us, and it's walking in the light. He says here in verse 7, he's going to give us this, this key. Satan wants you to stumble and fumble and bumble your way through life. He doesn't want you to turn on the lamp and the light unto your path. He does not want you hearing the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And what happens is you take in the word of God, you're then able to act on the word of God and guess what it's contrary to? Your flesh. Then you won't walk after the dictates. That's why Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, said, Look, if you will walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Those two things oppose one another. And so walking in the light begins this, this story for us. And I, and I want you to notice something. It's not, say, we'll kind of lounge in the light. It's not like be friends with somebody who's walking in the light. Do you get the picture? It doesn't say lay down and rest in it. It doesn't say, well, get close to the light so you can kind of see where the light is. It says you have to be sincere about walking in the light. That principle there in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 10. You've got to be genuinely engaged in walking in the light. Letting the light penetrate your life. Anybody in here got a few areas where you could stand some more light? I do. Everybody does. We all have our little weak spots, our blind spots. I I love my tundra, but it's got a big, huge blind spot in it. There's a door panel about that wide right behind my head. I look over my shoulder. I see nothing but gray. In your life, you have spiritual blind spots, areas to where no matter what you do, you're going to turn around. It's called your personality. It's called the old man that still dwells in you. You have blind spots in your life. And all of a sudden, the enemy comes along and he knows exactly what car to put in that blind spot. In my case, it's always a Prius. It's like in Jesus' name, I know they get good gas mileage, but could you get them like another three feet off the ground? (laughs) You you see, you got to be sincerely looking to try and see what's in your blind spot. Because if you just ignore it, there's going to be something there. You're all going to have your spiritual Prius in that sense. 
And the point is we have to be genuinely seeking after the things of the Lord. You can't be half in. Because half in is those people, and you all know them, they're driving, their idea of looking over their shoulders, that's it. You know, it's like their eye move that way, that's all. They're not looking at the mirror, they're definitely not looking over their shoulders. They're not trying to figure out what could be dangerous next to them. They're just going, man, this is cool. And you're going down the freeway, and you don't realize, any of you ever had that experience where you hear the, the sirens? And you're in the middle of an intersection and you have not got a clue which direction they're coming from. And you're like panicked. It's like, which way do I go? Here's what you have to do. You got to get the people in your car. Okay, you check that way. You check that way. You check that way. I'll look this way. Let's find out where the danger is coming. That's being sincere. Sine sera, two Latin words linked together that provides our English word sincere. And it means without wax. During the time specifically of the Romans, Roman sculptors would take wax, beeswax, mix it with the powder that came from making their sculptures, and if they had a flaw, some type of deficiency in the sculpture they were working on, they would take the wax, they would take and mix that ground-up powder of marble together, and they would smear it in the deficiency And when you stood back 10 feet away, you could not tell there was anything wrong. But the moment you exposed that statue to the heat of the day, guess what showed up? You see, to be sincere is to be acknowledging you have some deficiencies and you're not trying to hide them. You're being open and you're being honest with the Lord. It says, look, I I got some capacity here to sin. I want to be honest about myself with you God it's so important for us to walk in honesty before the Lord you see there are all kinds of reasons that that we can walk in in obedience to the Lord when you think about your own life look I can obey I can obey God because I have to he's God amen I mean, if you don't realize that God's holy and righteous and could fry you every moment of every day, let me just give you a little clue. He can fry you any moment of any day. Now, praise God, because he loves you, he doesn't do that. But we could simply obey God because he's God. And he has the right to our obedience. He doesn't want that. That's not why we should obey him. Or because we need to. He can give us stuff. Amen? You ever had a prayer life like, Lord, I'll do this if you'll give me that? You know what I'm saying? You pray, it's like, well, Lord, if you'll just do this, then I'll go to church twice this year. (laughs) I'm going to do both C and E, Christmas and Easter. I promise. You see, you can obey God because you're going to get something out of him. Then you say, oh, could I have a new job? Could I have a new car? Could could I have a little more money in the bank? I'd like to take a vacation. If you give me a vacation, God, then I'll obey you. That's not a right motivation either. Or you can obey him because you love him. Because you love God. Because he is good. And his mercy endures forever. And he gave you the free gift of life in Christ Jesus. He applied grace to your life and forgiveness of your sin. And you obey him because you love him. Amen? 
And obviously, that's the reason we should obey the Lord. You see, a slave obeys because he has to. That's why, that's why somebody who's indebted to somebody else obeys, he's going to be punished. That's not the Lord. An employee does because he's going to get a paycheck. So whatever the boss says you do. Why? Because he's going to take your paycheck away if you don't. That's not the Lord. The Lord wants you to obey him because he is good. Because he loves you. Because you have a heavenly father that knows exactly what is best for you. So when you look at God's word, notice what it says. If you want to know that you know you're a child of God, obey his commandments. Because God knows what's best. He's not going to give you something to do that isn't his best for you. Do you get this? Church, do you understand this? The reason this is so important is because people look at the Bible and they go, man, I can't believe I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't. All they see is what they can't do. They pick up their Bibles and go, oh man, I got to give that up and I got to give that up and I got to give this up. And oh, I didn't even know that was in there. And they wander around with their head hanging down because out the window went their drinking, their smoking, their cussing, their fornicating. It's like, oh man, I'm bummed. No, the reason the Lord says those things are not to be in the life of the child of God is because it's the very best for you. It's because he created you to walk godly in Christ Jesus. And so he says, hey, here's the dangerous things. You don't want to do these. Now, I don't know if any of the rest of you are people who do not pay attention to, pay attention to signs. Um, I'm one of those people. I actually look at a lot of danger signs like that's a challenge. And so when I say, see a sign that says, stay back, get away from the cliff, don't go over here, you'll die, I want to know why. Is that you? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of us in here. So there's the sign, and... and and you, you see it, and it shows the dead dude with the crosses through his eyes plunging off the cliff. And the cliff crumbling away from his feet. And you're going, I can get close enough. <laughs> Woo! Gonna die if I fall off of that for sure. What you can't see is there's no cliff underneath your feet where you're standing. And a lot of Christians approach their look at the Bible and what it says about how we're to live. And we go, well, I can't really see the danger. I don't really agree with that because my flesh says something else. And so here's what we do. I think I can go another inch. Not dead yet. Getting close to dead, kind of wobbling. We see how close we can get to sin. And in doing so, we deny the fact that the reason God told us to stay away from that cliff is because he knows that there's no dirt underneath the cliff and you don't know when that cliff is going to crumble. You see, if you love me, keep my commandments, exactly as Jesus said there in John 14. The way we define this is simple. 
And yes, this is an oft-used and trivialized acronym, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Amen? Can I tell you that's true? That's absolutely factual and accurate. What would Jesus do given the situation that you were in? And what he would do is exactly what you should do. And I should do. It means that we do walk in the light. It means that I look at my life and I view it through the lens of Scripture. You you see, I can't make up my own rules and expect to have God's blessing. If I make up my own rules, I'm going to get whatever I can get out of life. Can I tell you, I want what my Heavenly Father wants for me. I want what Jesus wants for me. Because he doesn't make mistakes. Anybody in here make mistakes? Please put up your hands. You liars. It's like, it's like, duh. Yeah, of course. You sit down with somebody and you, you know, you're just going back and forth. Do you ever make mistakes? Yeah, I make mistakes. Sometimes I don't see things correctly. If you're married, you make mistakes. Amen. You don't even know why you said that dumb thing you said to your spouse. And then you realize, ah, that was my flesh. That was the old man welling up inside. You ain't telling me I ain't no king. (laughs) King of this here castle. Then all of a sudden you figure out you're, you're not only the king, you're the garbage man. You're the garbage man of your own castle. You know what? Jesus actually said that's exactly what you should be. If you want to be great in his kingdom, you be the servant of all. Then you love your wife as Christ has loved the church and given his life for it. You give away everything you have for your bride. And wives, you realize how tough a job that is. And you look at your husband and say, man, I wouldn't want that job for anything. You pray for him. You see, God's word takes our relationships and rightly orients them with the GPS that is his word. The God positioning system. Amen? This is how you find out where you're supposed to be. You go to his word and say, oh, that's where I'm supposed to be. And I'll encourage you, read read the whole of Colossians chapter 3 when you get home. But Colossians chapter 1 paints this picture God willed to make known the riches of his glory amongst the Gentiles. And he placed that in Christ. He said, look, whatever Jesus does, that's what you should do. However he acts, that's how you should act. But in chapter 3, it goes through and it gives all these, these criteria whereby we can know exactly what to do. And it begins in verse 3, your life is hidden in Christ with God. No Christ, your life is not with the Lord. It's not with God. So you've got to be there. In verse 11, it says, Christ is all in all. Can I remind you that a lot of Christians look at their walks with the Lord and they want Jesus to be a part of who they are. Christ is all and all in the life of a believer. He's my everything. And in fact, so much so that the life that I now live, I live not only for him, but because of him, And in him, without him, I am nothing. We're supposed to let that word of God in verse 16 dwell in us richly in all wisdom. Anybody need wisdom? 
comes from the word of God, amen? It's amazing how many people look for wisdom in the world. There's, there's wisdom to be sure in practical things in the world. This is not a knock on education or intellectual endeavor. This is saying if you want to know how to use that information correctly, that comes from God. Because you can know everything and just be very, very, very proficiently lost. You need the wisdom of the Lord. That comes from his word. What would Jesus do in that situation? So it becomes the goal of every believer to simply emulate Christ. I say, what would Jesus do? How would he act? What would he say? I can tell you this. Jesus is not going to rail your spouse. Jesus is not going to slap that person. Jesus is going to be kind and gentle. Jesus isn't going to get all worked up over things that don't matter eternally. He's going to have the right perspective all the time. And the truth is, family, man, we need God's help. Amen? I need God's help. I need that advocate there in verse 1. And I need him right here, right now. Because there's a certainty in my life. And that is, I'm not perfect. And so I'm going to mess up. I want the Lord of heaven standing before the throne of God going, Jeff's one of mine. I paid for that. I want him advocating for my release from the penalty of that sin. And he does by faith because of the grace that's been applied to my life. Because Christ lives in me. You see, the simple truth of this is, it's not simple imitation of everything that Jesus is. It's by incarnation. He dwells in us, amen? I need Jesus in me. That's my hope. Because I can imitate people and still not get to the heart of the issue. Can I give you an example of that from Scripture? His name begins with a J, ends with an S. Judas was an imitator of the disciples. So much so that nobody knew he wasn't saved. Nobody knew sitting at that table, well, who is it that's going to betray you, Lord? And Jesus had to get so simple, he said, it's the dude that's going to dip his bread with me. That's how deceptive acting like a Christian can be. Oh, you can know all the right words. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All glory. You can wander around telling everybody, oh yeah, I've, I got my one-year Bible. I haven't got a clue what it says, but I got one. You see, it's not just simple imitation. It's incarnation. It's Christ in you. And when Christ is in you, he's going to be changing the way you do some stuff. He's going to take that word and it's going to check your relationship to things universally. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you turn on a GPS, what happens functionally is it begins to search for satellites that are above you. So if you have the GPS on your phone or if you used to have one of the old GPS units, when you turned it on, the first thing that would happen is searching for satellites. 
It's looking for ways to orient itself to the position that you currently hold. God's positioning system is exactly the opposite. He's in heaven. He knows where you are, and he wants to orient you based on the things that are on this earth. He's saying, look, Jeff, that's dangerous for you. I don't want you going there. Jeff, for you, you have a weakness in this area. So I'm going to protect you from that. But see, you can go against what the positioning system is telling you. It's like, I don't really think this is that dangerous. I mean, after all, it's only 4,000 feet to the bottom. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You see, we flirt with it. We're, We're tempted to think we know better than God. And God is saying, if you really want to know that you know him, do what he says. Let him orient you. You you see, as we walk in the light, that's what happens. That's how we have victory. I'm checking in all the time with the God satellite. It's like, am I where I'm supposed to be, Lord? Am I living the way I'm supposed to live? Am I walking in the light right now? Is there something in my blind spot? Is there a dark area of my life that you need to shine on? Lord, please, whatever your word says, let me live that way. You help me adjust my course. As Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 reminds us, it's now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Amen? Not you. Not me. Now unto him. According to what we can ask or think. According to the power that works in us. Not your power, his power. That power comes by being people of the word. It's saying no to all deception. You see, a lot of Christians look at their life and say, well, I'm okay if I only have a little bit of sin going on. It becomes a percentage thing. It's like, well, I'm 84.7% okay. You know, I'm I'm doing so much better than everybody else. I mean, come on. No, it's saying no to all deception. It's allowing the light to filter down to every area of our life so that we are actually factually sinless as possible. Not accepting a part of the deceptive plans of the enemy. Because he'll try and tell you that little bit of deception is okay. A little bit of deception is a little bit of poison in your life. It's demonic. It's disease-filled. And it absolutely is just like that cliff. It absolutely is like the cliff. Oh, you might be able to stand out there all day long. Or you might be there at the wrong time. And that cliff caves in. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. You see, here's the thing. If you live to please God and yourself, you're going to find out you're double-minded. You're going to be unstable, exactly as Scripture says, in all of your ways. Because you're going to effectively try and serve two masters, exactly what Jesus said you can't do. 
And so even though percentage-wise you might be trying to please God most of the time, but the moment you shift gears and try and please yourself or the world, or worse yet, the devil, you're going to find out you've got some issues. If you want to have victory, you have to live in the light of God's word at all times. Every moment of every day. That may sound extreme to some of you. Maybe you're new believers and you go, man, I, I don't have time for that. I'm, I'm too busy doing other things. Let me tell you this. You have not only the time because God gave you the time. The problem is not the time. The, the problem is the effort. The problem is saying yes to Jesus. And I want to encourage you. If you want to have victory over sin, you must say yes to Christ and his word. You, you can't walk away from God's word and expect to have a victorious Christian life. You're, you're going to have a little bit of sin. Oh, you may have some pious talk. That's why James said there in James chapter 1 and verse 22, you have to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Hearing's good. Faith actually can reach your heart that way. But being a doer, as John says, is how you know that you know. And when you walk in that security and that confidence, when you begin to live your life in such a way that you're pleasing to God, you have his confidence in you as well. You get stronger as the day goes on. You realize, look, the Lord's got this. That's how we can make known what are the riches of his glory. We must, we should not just walk the walk, but we have to talk the talk. We have to have it all together. We have to do all of the things that the Lord tells us to do. And then we have that utter confidence, not just in the language, but in the life that we live. That we have victory because he provides it. He gives it to us. Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Maybe you're here today and, and I want to encourage you Maybe you've got an issue or an area of your life over in our prayer room. Again, I'm just going to keep reminding you. We have people that, that want to pray with you. People that want to check out those things with you and say, look, here's what God's word says about that issue. So that you can have victory. Don't miss that. If you don't know the Lord, we're going to pray right now for the Holy Spirit to speak in your life. And for the rest of us to just keep on keeping on. So we know that we're his. Father, thank you for that powerful conviction that we are yours that comes from being obedient to your word. Oh, Lord, we thank you for that power. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of knowing that we're your children. God, that you give us that incredible assurance. We do know that we know as we walk with you and walk according to your word. And so, Lord, help us to that. And I pray, we pray as a church, if there's anyone here today that's never received the gift of grace, that quick, short answer to that is, if you will believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you'll confess your sin, he'll forgive it. If you'll invite him to be Lord, he will. And so, Lord, for anyone who needs to do that, would they make that decision right now? Father, thank you for loving us blessing us. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.